Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. And of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins did not do well out of the Christmas break, because why would we expect them to? Uh, They are now on three straight losses with two back-to-back. I'm going to say the word embarrassing, because that's the word that comes to mind when it comes to the two losses the Penguins suffered at the hands of the New York Islanders on Tuesday and the Detroit Red Wings on Wednesday on home ice. The Penguins, like I mentioned, have now lost three straight. Three, honestly, all three losses can be classified as horrible considering where they were at with that Carolina game with about six or seven minutes to go in it. But if you look at the way that they've been playing as of late and really all season long, no lead is safe for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have now lost five games this season when leading after two periods of play, which is the most in the Mike Sullivan era. Shout out to Bob Grove on Twitter for that little anecdote, but not a good sign for the Pittsburgh Penguins that they can't hold a lead, especially if that continues into the later months, like March and April and May. But Horwat, which loss is worse? Tuesdays against the New York Islanders or Wednesdays against the Detroit Red Wings? So I feel like everyone can agree it's uh, against the uh, Red Wings here. Just You had that 4 nothing lead. You couldn't ask for a more perfect first period um, to the point where, what, you're getting scoring from all over the lineup. You're getting some help from the bottom six. Hell, Drew O'Connor's chipping in on a goal. Kasperi Kaplan had a couple of assists. Um, Jason Zucker looked like he was on pace to get his first hat-trick as a Penguin, and that's, and yet um, none of that was enough. Uh, it, the second period didn't even look like they had taken the foot off the pedal, per se, uh, but they were definitely just getting outplayed, and then the second third period started, you felt it coming. It's the kind of loss that just leaves you depressed um, and unhappy with what's going on. I didn't even know really what to say after the game, but I think... Not that you could excuse a 5-1 to one loss on Long Island coming out of a break, uh, but it makes but this kind of loss makes that one look like a bump in the road. You know, this, mm-hmm. this one really does all of a sudden raise so many questions about you know, personnel in the lineup, coaching decisions, or um, what these players are and aren't capable of anymore. And I'm sure we have the next 45 minutes to go over as much of that as we can and hopefully by the time 2023 rolls around this is the last episode of the year guys but by the time 2023 rolls around uh we'll have some more positive things to discuss Mm -hmm. yeah between those two games honestly it's it's like picking between peas and carrots as somebody that doesn't like their vegetables uh you know in the grand scheme of things you think that it should be a divisional loss against a team that you're going to be fighting with at the end of the season for standings points and for positioning if both teams can make the playoffs. But like you mentioned, up four to nothing after 20 minutes of play and the way that they were playing that game, I don't care that they have a backup goaltender in, in Casey DeSmith. But whenever you lose that four to nothing lead to a team like the Detroit Red Wings, who they're not horrible, But let's face it, this Detroit Red Wings team is not expected to do anything this season. Like, they might make the playoffs, and that's the highest of their expectations. Against the Pittsburgh Penguins team, who, one, had a 4-0 lead, and two, is expected to compete for a Stanley Cup, as every Sidney Crosby team should be. But to make matters worse, it was on home ice. And even Evgeny Malkin said so after the game, he said, listen, our fans aren't happy with us right now, and they shouldn't be. 
This is not good enough. The standard is higher than this, to steal from a Steelers quote. The standard is the standard, and this hasn't been it the past three games. You can say what you will about the Carolina Hurricanes game last Thursday. We didn't get to talk about that because we took off on Monday, but eventually you have to close the door, and that is a bad trait to have for a hockey team to not be able to close the door on a good team like the Carolina Hurricanes. When you have a lead late in the third period or when you can't close the door on a bad team in the Detroit Red Wings when you have a 4 to nothing lead after two periods. That's not a good sign if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Oh, it looked like we were ready to continue that pace of massive success against this, this uh, against the Red Wings. We had that 11-2 victory last year followed by a 7-2 win. Uh, and then once we go up 4 nothing after one, it looks like, all right, we got this team's number. We're going to roll right along here. Uh, but something about the vibes of the second just kind of bled into the third and next thing you know you blink a couple of times and hey the penguins are one two and two in their last five let mm -hmm. that one settle in it may not seem like it because we did just have that seven game winning streak uh but now we're struggling a bit we're back to not the losing streak but i mean this loss is probably uglier than all seven of those just because of the way it went down um Sure, it wasn't, you know, like I said, sure, it's not a seven-game losing streak. Sure, we're getting a pity point out of it, which, by the way, no one's proud at this point. Don't even give it to us, please, unless we need it to get into the playoffs down the line. We'll talk about that yeah. one down the line. Um, but, yeah, this is not the kind of overtime point that anybody is proud of, whereas Carolina, maybe you take it, you know, because it's a good team. You're going to try and get as many points as you can out of good teams, but at the same time, this team the penguins awful in overtime right now awful mm -hmm. leaving too many points on the board that's six now six that's six extra points we could use where are we in the standings now probably within six points of catching somebody mm -hmm. um this isn't ideal this is not ideal no and you mentioned the carolina hurricanes one and yes the hurricanes are a good team but you had that team on the ropes three times and you lost all three games and like i said it's not the end of the world. You can still make the postseason. Obviously, we, we saw worse things happen earlier in the year when they lost seven straight, but you can't make a habit of losing these close games, especially when you have a lead against a good team like Carolina and against a middling team. I said they were a bad team. I shouldn't have said that earlier. Uh, a middling team in the Detroit Red Wings. And a lot of people agreed. We put up a poll on our Twitter page at Iceberg Podcast and said, which loss was worse, Tuesday or Wednesday? And by far, the overwhelming majority of Penguins fans said the 5-4 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings on Wednesday was worse than just not showing up against the New York Islanders. It was 85% to 15%. And now, part of that might have been recency bias. Everybody was a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth uh, from the game that happened because that, that, that poll was posted literally five minutes after the game. Uh, but at the same time, it is just a bad sign that you cannot hold a four-goal lead. You know, again, say what you will about Casey the Smith being in net. Say what you will about the fact that it is the second half of a back-to-back. -back. The Pittsburgh Penguins didn't earn that excuse because they didn't play against the New York Islanders. So they didn't earn the, well, we're tired, we, we battled hard in the first half of the back-to-back. -back. I don't think they battled at all in that game against the New York Islanders. So they don't have that excuse, but the only solace I do want to mention is this reminds me a whole heck of a lot of a game last season when the Pittsburgh Penguins came out for the first time after Christmas break and played the San Jose Sharks on home ice. Now, the Penguins ended up winning that game 8-6, to six, 
but they certainly didn't deserve the two points in that one based on how it ended. This time, it actually cost them one of the two points. They did get the pity point, as you mentioned, but at the end of the day, they were able to bounce back from that, and I do expect them to bounce back from this, but it is just a tough three-game stretch that they're in the midst of right now. Yeah, I was just pulling up that game because as you were speaking, I remembered that game as well. Uh, The difference there, though, is like you mentioned, yeah, we were able to bounce back and uh, take a victory, especially with a Brad Rust hat trick. That's fun. Um, So we were able to look at it as just a thriller of a game, Uh, a a standout first period where the Penguins walked out of the first period up 6-1. to You know, we didn't score in the second, and that's kind of when the vibe settled in for the Penguins. Obviously, then they gave up five unanswered. Um, the issue with that game, too, is if I'm reading the score correctly, we were never behind. Nope. You know, we didn't let the Sharks come back to tie it. That's kind of the difference there is it, last night, the Penguins not only let the Red Wings come back to tie somehow, they lost in overtime. And by the way, sell the team if, you're, if someone's going to celebrate like that on you. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I'd say they're different, but we can at least look back at the Sharks game as a thriller that we were able to pull out because we didn't let it stop us. We still managed to pull the game in our direction, and we didn't fall behind at all. Whereas last night, you could feel it coming almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, no one's going to have the good answers. Uh, you know, you said that Mike Tomlin uh, uses the standard... You know what? Mike Sullivan said the standard is higher, too, last night. He said that the standard is higher. No one, including himself, is reaching it. And I'll get into more of Sullivan's stuff in a little bit, but no Mm -hmm. one really has answers right now. Yeah, when you look at the game as a whole, you know, I'm sitting there at work in the first intermission, like, all right, cool. I could almost change this channel because, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. My actual job is covering all sports. So I was like, okay, I got to switch it over here. Maybe watch some some college bowl games. Maybe watch some NBA basketball. And I was like, all right, cool. I kept it on the Penguins game. And I'm almost sorry that I did. Because what I saw over the last 40 minutes of hockey was uh, disheartening to say the least. But the Pittsburgh Penguins will have a chance to get back on the right footing on Friday against the New Jersey Devils. And then it's, it's off to Fenway against the the Boston Bruins. You want to get that win on Friday because nobody wants to go through all the fun of the Winter Classic. Like, these guys are still going to have fun with it, but nobody wants to go into the Winter Classic losing four straight games, especially in the manner that they've lost the previous three. But let's turn the page here and talk about something a little positive before we go back negative again with lineup decisions in the second segment. Jason Zucker had a two-goal game. Wearing the Give 16 hat here if you're checking us out on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. Honestly, probably my favorite hat now, but he scores two goals. First two-goal game of the season for Zucker. He now has eight goals on the year. His first goal, gorgeous. Attacks the net front, gets aggressive, finishes it perfectly. Something we haven't seen a lot of from Jason Zucker is perfect finish. And that's what he did. Second goal, he's around the crease. Did he score it? I don't know, but he gets credit for it anyway. What do you make of Jason Zucker so far this season? I've enjoyed his play the entire season, I feel like. I haven't been too uh let down by anything i get he kind of was just on a little scoring drought here but 
Um, he's one of those players that when he isn't scoring, you really don't notice, though, because he's still picking up helpers. I mean, he had three uh, assists heading pretty much coming up to the uh, Christmas break there. Um, and he's driving play. That second line we continue to talk about as being so good uh, and contributing in more ways than just finding the back of the net. I'm... I haven't had too many bad things to say about Zucker's play at all this season, so I think seeing him score twice was just more of a compliment to his hard work this year, and it's good to see him uh, pretty much about to pass his uh, career high with the Penguins because, uh, like we know, since he's gotten here, things haven't been all the way there, so uh, this is a much better pace that he's on this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I talked about it on Monday's episode, excuse me, Tuesday's episode. My week is all messed up because of the holidays. Uh, Tuesday's episode of Penguins to Go, you can go back and check it out. Uh, I said that Jason Zucker, in my opinion, will be the breakout star of the back half for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, giving credence to Brock McGinn for the first half because he probably takes the cake on that one. But part of the reason I said that is because so far this season, he has a low shooting percentage, one of the lowest shooting percentages of his entire career. So even if he balances off to his career medium, then uh, he's going to score a lot more goals. And so far, so good. Two-goal game. I'll take a feather in the cap for that. But at the end of the day, the Pittsburgh Penguins are hoping for victories, not hoping for moral victories for their individual players. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Horwat has a little bitty about uh, the lineup decisions from Mike Sullivan. We'll get to that right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm host Nick Berlansky, joined by host Nick Horwat, and there were a couple of interesting lineup decisions down the stretch of that game on Wednesday, and there were some lineup decisions down the stretch of the game on Tuesday as well. Obviously, Sullivan hit shuffle on Tuesday because nothing was working, but Wednesday, what did he do, Horwat, to try to stop the bleeding uh, from Big Red and the Detroit Red Wings? So the lineup shuffle was also put in place a little less noticeably, at least, against the Red Wings. I think um, you really noticed it whenever you realized guys like Drew O'Connor and Kasperi Kapanen, now we get there playing on the fourth line. But what? We could say they had respectable first periods. Drew O'Connor scored a damn goal. Kasperi Kapanen had two assists. You hear that, you have to ask yourself, um, why did they both play uh, only one shift in the third period? It, while you're reeling I get like I said I get you know they're your fourth line players you haven't seen the best out of Kaplan this year you haven't had much out of Drew O'Connor at all in the last two seasons that one makes a little more sense but you they're the ones producing for you you were getting bottom six scoring and you sit them both because here's the real damning part of it uh the first line Jake Gensel finished with a minus three Ricardo Raquel finished with a minus two, and Sidney Crosby finished with a minus three. We can talk about Brian Dumoulin in a minute. We'll get to the defense. Berlanti, I need to ask you, what are your thoughts of why Kasperi Kapanen and Drew O'Connor were only given a singular shift in the third period? One that I could pull up the times if I really wanted to, but I don't care to. Uh, Why were those two only given one shift in the third period? Is there a smart choice there? I'm not going to try to 
back Mike Sullivan's play on that, but I will say I can understand why he did it because I, I know a little bit about Mike Sullivan as a coach. And there's one word that describes why that happened, and it's trust. Mike Sullivan doesn't trust Kasperi Kapanen, and not yet a young guy like Drew O'Connor, whereas I, I think this team is really missing their fourth line right now. I think they're missing two guys that we'll talk about in the third segment, in Ryan Paling and Josh Archibald, because Mike Sullivan has trust in those guys with Teddy Bluger. And you mentioned Teddy Bluger isn't a guy that got one shift in the third period. Teddy Bluger got more. Why? Because there's more trust in Teddy Bluger to be defensively responsible while offensively at least able. Now, I'm not saying O'Connor and Kaplan aren't offensively able. Like you mentioned, O'Connor had a goal in the first period. Kasperi Kaplan had two very nice assists, not just assists, but good primary assists that set up the goals. But I don't think there was enough trust from Mike Sullivan in those two guys in the third period whenever... They needed something, and that's why that top line, that's why that second line was double-shifted and sometimes triple-shifted because, listen, it was the end of a very bad stretch of three games. They were just trying, scratching, pleading to get that second point, and I understand why Mike Sullivan said, you know what, I don't quite trust these guys. I'm going to go with the guys I trust, which is the first line and the second line. No, you're totally right about that. You know, you're going to trust your guys. Um but I can also remember a time not too long ago this season that Mike Sullivan said he just had the gut feeling about Evgeny Malkin taking a shootout goal. I get different circumstance, but why aren't you trusting your gut here? I mean, again, I understand the Drew O'Connor one. You might not have the trust in him. He's still a young player. He's not defense. He's, I mean, he's defensively minded, but you're at this in this scenario, you're looking to get a an insurance goal, something to kind of take the knees out of the Red Wings here. I mean, you, you threw Danton Heinen out over Kasperi Kapanen. At this point of the season, I get both guys are not producing the right way. Um, but if but if Kasperi Kapanen's picking up two pretty good assists in the first period, I'm throwing him out in the third over Danton Heinen. That's just me. Now, I'm not here to disparage anything Mike Sullivan does. He took blame last night, which is a good start. Um, Evgeny Malkin took, once again, said that he and the other veterans on the team need to do a little bit better as well. There is a lot of takeaways coming from this sort of game where you're not going to straight up bash these guys. You know, Mm -hmm. these kind of games do happen. They hurt, but it's good that Sullivan realizes he needs to be a little bit better here. Uh, Malkin realizes he and the veterans need to be a little bit better. But now, again, if you're so easy to throw guys like Kapanen or O'Connor on the bench. Um, why is Brian Dumoulin playing 20 minutes? 20. I get there's fewer spots on defense, but man, it's not pretty. It's not pretty right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to lineup decisions with Brian, uh, Brian Dumlin, I get we have Ty Smith up here and maybe you wanted to see him practice. All right, you're going to get that opportunity in a couple hours here. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that opportunity to see what Ty Smith can do with your with your big guns. Is he the one that comes out for this? Yeah. Is, ugh, I mean, we don't have too many other options at the moment. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, what's your thoughts on the Brian Dumlin situation? Then? Uh, I have several, several thoughts on Brian Dumlin. Some of them I will save for Penguins to go tomorrow because that's who I will be talking about. 
uh, is Brian Dumlin. But the big thing that I'm, I'm thinking and the main precipice of what I wanted to, to, to say right now is the fact that there's no reason for Brian Dumlin to be on the second D pairing. There's no reason for du- Brian Dumlin to be an anchor with 80 pounds of chains strapped to Jan Ruda. Jan Ruda doesn't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. Chris Letang certainly doesn't deserve that. We saw him deal with it at the beginning of the season. Brian Dumlin is a great teammate. Brian Dumlin is a great Pittsburgh Penguin. But Brian Dumlin is washed. Like that, that's where it's at. You're not going to see him get back to where he was ever. And if he does, then honestly, I might not know what I'm talking about ever again because he does not look like he has. And by, by that, I mean over a period of time. He can do it for one game. He can do it for two games. Shoot, whenever he got initially sent down in the lineup, he played a lot better for about 14, 15 games. And then Jeff Petrie goes down, and for some reason, we don't trust P.O. Joseph with Jan Ruda. I don't know if it's a trust thing. I don't know what it is. But I don't understand why Brian Dumoulin is, like you said, getting getting 20 minutes a night is one thing, but getting 20 minutes a night, being paired up with Jan Ruda and going up against better talent... That's an entirely different story, and I just don't understand it at this point. He got exposed against the New York Islanders, and it wasn't much better against the Detroit Red Wings. And I don't see it getting much better anytime soon. And I don't know why you wouldn't trust Pio Joseph with Jan Ruda. That's who he started the season with. Exactly. That's who, that's who he was skating with at the beginning of the year, where everyone said, oh, this guy's looking pretty good. Sure, Ty Smith may have outplayed him in the preseason, but you know what? We see what Pio Joseph has done so far this year. Just He's playing third-line minutes. Yeah, I mean, what? Let me find it. 14-12 last game. 14-12, zero shifts in overtime. I get it was a quick overtime, but have some faith in your guys. You know, have some... It's going to go back to Mike Sullivan and his trust. Have some trust in your guys and see what they can do. I get he's not a fully defensive defenseman, mm-hmm. um, but maybe give him that opportunity. You never know what can happen. Maybe make it a quick shift just to kind of get his feet wet, see, see what you have out there. Um. But at the same time, if you don't want to because your team has just been bad mm-hmm. in overtimes this year, fine. That's understandable as well. It's This team is, you know, I looked back at it and thought the team has kind of been historically bad at overtimes, but boy, was I wrong. Uh, pretty damn good, actually. That being said, though, the season isn't. This season is getting historically bad, uh, and there's a whole different conversation that can go into overtime decisions, but I mean... The situation that happened last night with lineup with the guys going over the boards, it can't happen like that. Brian Dumoulin, you may have trust in your guy, you may have faith, but something's got to give. Uh, Jan Ruda deserves better, like you said, because we know how good he can be. We mm. know how good he can be. He's not. He's not a guy that can make up for a Brian Dumoulin mistake, but he we know he can be better and deserves better than this. Uh, last thing I'll mention on P.O. Joseph before we go over and talk a little bit about scoring droughts and some players that are currently on one. With P.O. Joseph, there's not much to take away from that New York Islanders game, at least not much positive to take away. P.O. Joseph was the best Pittsburgh Penguin on the ice. Mm-hmm. Take away his goal because only one to score. That's obviously going to make people think that you were the best player on the ice. Take that away. There were about three or four plays that he made on defense. Stick on puck on the rush for the New York Islanders where he was the only guy left or the only guy that was left to make the play before it became a scoring chance. And he was able to to muzzle it, shut it down. I thought he had a really good game 
at points, as good as any Pittsburgh Penguin had against the New York Islanders. And I think that's an indication that this guy is, like you mentioned, he has a little bit of an offensive flair. I think that's mainly just because he is good with the puck. He makes smart decisions with the puck. But he's also proven this year to be much better defensively uh, than a lot of people give him credit for. So I would like to see him get an increased role. I would like to see him flip with Brian Dumoulin, something I will elaborate on tomorrow on Penguins to Go, so you make out, make sure you check that out. Uh, but for the time being, let's switch over and talk about some scoring droughts because Bob Grove also had another tweet yesterday, which, by the way, if you're not following Bob Grove, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Like, the best stats and tidbits of anybody on Twitter for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, just... Just go check that out. Make sure you give him a follow um, because he has a lot of good tidbits. Before the game, he posted five players that were on a scoring drought. Two of them scored last night, one of them being Jeff Carter, who before yesterday's game had one goal in 15 games. That was the overtime winner against the Buffalo Sabres. He scored like we mentioned last night. And Jason Zucker, who had one goal in 14 games. He scored two last night, and as we both mentioned, even without scoring, Jason Zucker at least proves to be a competent player and an important player on your roster, even when he's not putting the puck in the back of the net. But there are three other players that are in scoring droughts that continued through last night's game. Danton Heinen has scored no goals in 25 games played. Zero goals in over a quarter of an NHL season. He's been out and a healthy scratch for a good bit of time in the middle of that, but still, zero goals in 25 games. Teddy Bluger has one goal in his past 20 games. I understand he's a fourth liner, but one in 20 is underneath what we're expecting from a guy like Teddy Bluger, somebody that a lot of people, me included, want to see him as the third center on this team. You need to be producing more than that to get that position. And Kasperi Kapanen, who after that hat trick and four goals in the first three games, once once he came back from that long, healthy scratch, has zero in his last 10. So Horwat, let me ask you this before we get into it more. Which of these three players are going to snap out of their drought first? Teddy Bluger, mostly because he's the least likely option. Because <laughs> I, that's honestly why. Because he's not the one that you're expecting. He's the fourth line center. He's not the one you're expecting to score all the goals. But I feel like he's going to be the one to snap out at first because, I mean, Danton Heine getting through. I, mean, I just went in on why. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen should have been given more ice time in the third period last night. Dan Heinen should have been given the should have been given the uh, the long ride on the bench for the third. That's just my opinion on it because in a game like that, I'd rather have Kapanen out there. Speed can do something. He was playing well. He had two assists in the first period. He had two assists. Drew O'Connor played. I think it was a very. I just put the paper away. I should have kept it out. Uh, it was a very small amount of minutes in the first period and scored in his uh, small amount of opportunity. <laughs> But I'm not even going to look for it. Uh, but Kapanen, too, on the fourth line, playing fourth line minutes, wasn't given a ton of opportunity in the first period and collected two points somehow. Mm-hmm. Follow that trend. Like Mike Sullivan said in that Calgary shootout win, I just had a gut feeling. Have a gut feeling about someone who's going to produce for you because right now Dan Heinen's not the one that can do it. I mean, how many games did you say he didn't? He hasn't scored in? 29? 25. 25. Well, he's got no, 29. He's got... 10 points in 30 games this season. Well, that's not good enough. No, no, not at all. Especially when you consider how many of those were in the first five games of the season. Almost all of them. All three of the goals were. Um, The assists, I don't know. But, 
I think Heinen's gonna that one will snap out least because at least Kapanen, um, since his hat trick, I get it's been a ton of games since he scored a goal. He's at least looked a little more confident. He's going to the net a little more. Sometimes things just don't fall your way, uh, but he's like like last night. He's picking up a couple of assists. He's helping out. He's utilizing his speed and getting to the areas where scoring happens. Mm-hmm. It's still not ideal, but. I think Bluger's going to break out of it just because we actually have faith in him. Yeah, I'd have to agree that it's going to be Teddy Bluger. But I also think that, like, honestly, the way that Kapanen's been playing is not great. And I think something had to change on that third line. So I, I commend Mike Sullivan for making that change yeah. and giving Dayton Heinen another shot because Heinen is somebody that I, I feel like doesn't get enough opportunity uh, under Mike Sullivan. But at the same exact time, I mean, at least his leash isn't long. I'm not going to say he doesn't get any opportunities. But at the same time, the way that he has played, zero goals in 25 games, 10 points in 30 games this season. He was signed for $1 million, and that's exactly what he's playing like. But that's not what you want. Like, you wanted him to play like the $3 million player that he should have been if he would have signed a qualifying offer. That he he would have been if he signed a qualifying offer. And honestly, he probably would have been a $3 million player if he signed anywhere else other than Pittsburgh this season. So... Obviously, it's good that, that Hextall got him for one year, $1 million. He can cut bait at the end of the season if he thinks that this is truly what you see from Dayton Heinen. But this is this is not a good look for any of these five players, even, even Jason Zucker. You need to be able to finish more than one goal in 14 games you know, before the Red Wings game. What we saw in that game against the Red Wings, A+. That's what you need to see. Go to the front of the net. That's where he's going to score goals, especially on that second line with Malkin and Brian Rust. You need to be in that net front area, and Jason Zucker has the hands to be able to be a finisher in this league. He scored 20 goals at least five times. All for Minnesota, but he's done it. And I know he's older, but he still has that potential. I think he still has that talent. Jeff Carter, I don't even know what to make of it. Cody uh, Flavel of Inside the Penguins put out a nice piece on that. I know Carter scored last night, but... I really don't care. Like, he ended that scoring drought, but at the same time, you know, you're not out of a scoring drought until you can start putting it together on a consistent basis or semi-consistent basis, and we haven't seen that from Carter at all this season. We haven't seen that from Kapanen at all this season, and we haven't seen it from Heinen either. So these five guys, but especially those three, Carter, Heinen, and Kapanen, three guys that you expected to be your third line and be a pretty darn good third line at that coming into the season. They're just not meeting expectations. And at this point, you know, you need Paling and Archibald back. We'll talk about that in the third segment. But you really just need an entirely new third line. Uh, And, you know, there's different places you can go to get that. You can do it via trade. And I think there's some guys in the pipeline that could come up and give you a little bit more production as well. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, injuries are piling up for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll take a look at who's injured and who they need back the most here on the Tip of the Iceberg. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Make sure you check out InsideThePenguins.com for all the latest news and analysis on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nick Horwat is obviously the day-to-day beat reporter. He's the boots on the ground. He's always there. So Horwat, with these injuries, I'm going to ask you, because Jeff Petrie, 
He's eligible to return from LTIR on January 8th against the Arizona Coyotes, but the man hasn't started skating yet. We haven't seen him out on the ice. At least that I've noticed. I, I might be missing something. Like I said, my, my mind is jumbled uh, with the Christmas holiday. I haven't heard news of or seen Jeff Petrie on the ice in skates and full gear yet. He skated the day before Jason Zucker did. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the status has been since. I just know he's been skating before morning skates and before okay. practices. But then again, we also just had a Christmas break. Um, so it's been a while since he, it's probably been a while since he's been on the ice anyway, <clears throat> especially considering I didn't hear anything prior to the game against the, uh, Islanders. And I doubt anything happened yesterday. So maybe an update today on yeah. skating wise. Uh, otherwise I, we still have some time before that eligibility date, but still, yeah. I haven't heard much. Plus it's uh, upper body anyway. I'm still assuming that it was that wrist injury from, uh, the Buffalo game where he said he was okay. Yeah, I would have to tend to agree with that. And like I mentioned, Horwat is boots on the ground. So disregard what I say, listen to Horwat on, on that aspect. But, you know, he, even if he has started skating, there hasn't been very much news as far as he's concerned. Today will be a big day for him. You know, and by the time you're listening to this, it might already come out that he's skating and he's, he's trending well to come back on January 8th against the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, we'll have to see if he goes out on that trip against the Coyotes and also the Vegas Golden Knights who they'll take on earlier in that trip but also Ryan Paling and Josh Archibald were placed on LTIR retroactive to a couple days before so both of them will be missing the minimum of course 10 games 24 days and in response they called up Drake Kajula and Ty Smith now this is the first time Ty Smith has been with the NHL club he took the healthy scratch last night before we get into Paling and Archibald were you surprised that Ty Smith didn't get out there on Wednesday night? Because I wasn't in the least. I was at first. I was at first. And then I picked up on, excuse me, a uh, Josh Yoey tweet that kind of gave the reasons why mm -hmm. he isn't out there. And uh, it all made sense. All I know is if, if, the Peng if he has a good practice today and Mike Sullivan and his staff likes what he sees, you got to give him the shot. I'd say tomorrow. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> give him the shot tomorrow. Yeah. Give him his time because, again, like I said, you can't, uh, and I didn't say it, but I'm going to say it now, you can't be afraid to healthy scratch guys. Cannot be afraid. We said that last year. Saw what happened with Kasperi Kaplan. Got his healthy scratches. Said it earlier this year. Dan Heinen got his healthy scratches. You can't be afraid to do that to guys. Hey, Brian Dumoulin, I'm talking to you. Uh, you can't be afraid. And mm -hmm. that's a guy that, again, you're not healthy scratching him to, you know, I don't, I don't know. You're not healthy scratching him because you don't like him as a person or you don't like him as a player even. You're doing it to kickstart something here. Mm -hmm. You know, We saw Kaepernick to get healthy scratched for how long. He comes back in, boom, four goals in two games. Cool. I'm not saying that's what Dumoulin's going to do. And I'm not even saying that what Kaepernick did was sustainable. But it was something. Mm -hmm. It was a jump start to something, and he's still played better since. It's just Dumoulin's turn, it seems, and now give Ty Smith this opportunity, and you roll with it. I get Mark Freeman is also in the lineup, and I think he was more deserving of the spot. Anyway, he's been up and down a couple of times this year. It, the position lined up a little easier, um, and Mark Freeman is honestly just an entertaining player, and before he, Chad Ruedel even got injured, I was thinking, 
Uh, he should be rotating in and out with Ruedel anyway, just to give Chad a couple of games off, get Friedman some legs under him, uh, just to see what he can still do in, at an NHL level. Regardless, here we are. I think uh, I'm. I was a little surprised at first about Ty Smith not getting in, but um, I've come to understand it since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing in my opinion. Whenever they called up Drew O'Connor at first. And it was before Paling was out. And he's like, all right, cool. We're going to get to see Drew O'Connor and Mark Friedman in the lineup. And I was like, neither of these guys are going to get in the lineup. And it was the same thing yesterday. Like, Drake Kajula, he's up there because in case there's an injury. that That's why he's up there. And same thing with Ty Smith. Initially, I thought. I was like, he's not getting in tonight at the very least. But with Brian Dumoulin, you need to do something like that. And if anybody, you know, doesn't understand the fact that sports are more so a business than they are anything at that level, I mean, look no further than the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr got benched. He's not even with the team anymore in Las Vegas. He left the team to not be a distraction because they don't want to pay him $40.5 million over the next two seasons. They said, you know what? Our year's over, so you can just, you can sit on the bench in sweats because we don't want to pay you that $40.5 million that wasn't guaranteed unless you played these last two games. So we're going to sit you there. Uh, We're going to make sure that we don't have to pay you that money. It's a business. It's what the NHL is too. It's what the NBA is. That's what the MLS is. And I don't like the MLS. It's what the English Premier League is. It's all a business. Okay? That's what it is. And the business of hockey states that Brian Dumlin needs a healthy scratch or two or three to recharge and reset his mind. Because... He hasn't been great all season. He hasn't been good most of the season. I will say there was a little stretch when he went down to the third pairing and he was playing on the second pairing at times when P.O. Joseph was out where he didn't look bad. But right now, it looks like the game is moving way too fast for him. And if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that's in a dogfight right now with six teams in your division that are all within reaching striking distance of each other, especially the Penguins and third through fifth, in the Capitals, the Islanders, they're all right there. The Rangers. You cannot continue to ice this guy, let alone ice him for 20 minutes without at least looking at the other option you have, which is Ty Smith. You paid a lot to get Ty Smith in. John Marino was a pretty pretty good asset to give up, to bring in a Ty Smith. You got to at least give him a shot. I understand not putting him in over Mark Friedman and having Smith and Dumoulin. That's a recipe for disaster. Even Smith and Joseph... That's that's a little tenuous as a first touch-and-go basis. Smith and Friedman. Smith and Ruedel, if Ruedel's able to come back healthy. I think that's something you have to try at least once or twice to give Dumoulin a blow and try to get him to recharge his brain. I don't hate Smith and, uh, I don't hate Smith and Friedman. I feel like I, I don't know the lineups from the AHL, but I feel like at least those two have Played together, practiced together, and probably shared an ice at one point or another. Yeah. It's a little... I mean, Smith and Joseph doesn't sound ideal, just because A, they're both lefties, and B, uh, they've never seen each other before. You know, they've actually... They didn't They didn't even really play with each other in training camp. Yeah, or the preseason. So that's not something you want to give a shot right away. Uh, I just... just I just want to see Ty Smith in this lineup. I wish... Yeah, that's it. That's all I got for you. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'd like to see him get a chance here. And wouldn't it just be poetic that he makes his Penguins debut against the New Jersey Devils? Like, it would be. It would be more so if 
uh, John, John Marino, Marino was playing. Was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also, it, it, it's even more poetic that the uh, Devils are coming back to Earth. This is, by the way, I, I get the Penguins aren't playing well. Take advantage of a team that it was hotter than hot to start the season and is now, fall, like I said, falling back to Earth. Take mm-hmm. full advantage of this. And I thought maybe going into the Red Wings game, like, you have to bounce back from a 5-1 to one loss on Long Island. And then we put up four, and I said, all right, don't let off. Bury this team. Make a statement for yourself. And they didn't. Well, now you got to bury the Devils. Make a statement for yourself again. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of bounce back you need if you really want to kick this whole 1-2-1 one, one, two, and one, one, two, and two stretch that you've had in your last five. I mean, you got to really bury a good team here. Yeah, and with the New Jersey Devils, I'm a little disappointed you didn't say hotter than hell. It would have made a little ah, bit more damn. sense. Uh, missed opportunity, Horwat. But uh, at the same at the same time, you know every team goes through highs and lows in a season. The Pittsburgh Penguins have had a very bad low. They had a good high to start the year, and then they didn't lose a game in regulation for about a month. So yeah, they're on a little bit of a downswing here, but. It's a good time to get right against the New Jersey Devils. Important game there. Important game on Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock on TNT against the Boston Bruins. We will be previewing that game on Monday, the day that it happens. I'm sure you're going to be wearing your Winter Classic jersey. I got a shirt. I'll be wearing that. I love it. Uh, So we'll be all decked out. We'll be ready for the Winter Classic. But there's business to take take care of beforehand. You need to take out the Devils. And they're also going to be without two fourth liners that I do want to mention and talk about really quickly before we say goodbye on this show. Ryan Paling and Josh Archibald. I know a lot of people have differing opinions on Ryan Paling in his first season as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Look at him like Zach Aston Reese and your life will be a lot easier. That's all I'm going to say with, about that. Look at him like Zach Aston Reese and look at Josh Archibald for what he is, which is a good fourth liner in the National Hockey League, man. I was vehemently against Josh Archibald when the Penguins made that signing, especially because of how nose-stuck up Ron Hextall was when he announced it. He was like, nah, we didn't get Johan Larson, but I will tell you. I will tell you, brother. We got Josh Archibald. And I was like, okay, why are you proud of this? But honestly, I'll be quiet because Josh Archibald has been a really good fourth liner for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's going to be a big miss, him and Ryan Paling, uh, for the next however long they're going to be out. Yeah. It's just regular injured reserve, so they can kind of fly back in whenever. Oh, it's not LTIR? For some no. reason, I, I thought. So it's not LTIR, so it's not the 10 days, 24 games, so that's yeah. good. They could kind of come back in whenever. I mean, for what it's worth, I thought they were kind of day-to-day for a minute. I mean, Paling's skating, so yeah. there's that. Um, but you, you wouldn't have been out of your mind at the beginning of the season to say neither of these guys should be on the everyday roster. You wouldn't have been out of your mind. Ryan Paling's still young and uh, can still grow into some sort of uh, some sort of different role in his NHL career. I mean, he was the throw-in in the Petrie trade. Mm-hmm. You would have been totally fair in saying he wasn't supposed to make the lineup. And same with Josh Archibald because he was signed as a uh, kind of a savvy veteran move almost for cheap that you would have figured maybe other youngsters would have cracked the lineup over him. So you wouldn't have been totally out of your mind saying both of those guys weren't going to make the team. Next thing you know, they turned in one of the best fourth lines in hockey. 
It's, uh, it's, it is the Bluger, Aston, Reese, and Tanov line 2.0 almost. It is not the same, but it's got similar qualities mm-hmm. in that Josh Archibald's making up for Zach Aston, Reese is crashing and banging of leading the team in hits, surprisingly. Bluger's still there, and Ryan Paling, while not the same type of energy as Brandon Tanov, kind of has a good contributing factor offensively. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same, but it's very similar, and I enjoy what this fourth line has brought, and uh, boy, do those two need to come back soon. Yeah, and it's interesting because when they were initially signed, I think the big problem that I had with it is the same problem that a lot of Penguins fans had with it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. It felt like they were blocking spots for younger players that we all yep. want to see. That's exactly um, it. But they're not, because you look at their lineup spot, do we really want Valtteri Pustin playing on the fourth line? No. You know who's blocking his spot right now? It's Kasperi Kapanen. You know you know who's blocking Alex Nylander's spot? It's Kasperi Kapanen. It's Quite Dan Heinen. <laughs> Quite you know? a few people, but yes. But, you know, I, I know what but, you're saying. But, you know, those are the guys that a lot of Penguins fans want to see, and I honestly still think that if you're going to rebuild that third line, part of it has to be bringing up Valtteri Pustin and, and giving him a, an extended run there. And we honestly, we need to get Nick Hart on, who's the play-by-play announcer for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, to talk a little bit about Pustinen. Um, but honestly, Pustinen, Poulin, and this is this is armchair GM. This is, you know, fantasy land. My two Blackberries on NHL 13. If you could trade Carter, you could trade Kapanen, you could clear out their cap space, maybe trade somebody else for a decent third liner, you know what? Screw that. Just trade those two guys, get the open cap space. Pustinen, Poulin, McGinn. I think that's better than what you've been seeing for the past month from the Penguins' third line. I still can't believe... Page on responsive. Okay. I still can't believe uh, Jeff I... Carter has a uh, full no-move. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, um... you're right. If you could just trade Jeff Carter... Yeah, you're right. Guess who's not going to go for that? Jeff Carter. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. I don't know what you do with that. Especially, you know, and I know when I say this, people are going to be like, who cares? The locker room loves him. Yeah. The locker room loves him and he loves the locker room back. And he's, he's the type of guy that, oh, you want to trade me? I don't care. I like it here. I'm staying. And you know what? The Penguins aren't going to be upset about it. It's not like the players are going to divide in the locker room because Jeff Carter declined to trade. They're going to they're gonna be fine with it. So you know what? You're going to have to deal with Jeff Carter. Honestly, he needs to be put down in a different spot. Because third line center is a spot of mass importance for the Pittsburgh Penguins historically. And he's just not it. He isn't. Maybe is, is third line winger a better spot for him? Maybe. Is fourth line winger a better spot for him? I would believe so. But again, like we've started this conversation with, Paling Archibald Bluger is a good fourth line. And I think that's the fourth line you need to roll with if you can. But you just you, you need to figure something out with the third line because it doesn't matter how good your fourth line is. If your third line's bad, your bottom six is going to look bad. Oh, yeah. And also, I, I'll keep saying it, Mike Sullivan likes guys that can win face-offs. Guess what Jeff Carter can do? Win a lot yeah. of face-offs. Yeah. Doesn't need to do anything else, apparently. I mean, whenever we saw those lineup changes of Bluger getting bumped to the, to the third line, which, by the way, does show that 
there is some faith in Teddy Bluger as a third-line player here. When Sullivan hits shuffle, uh, Bluger's bumped to the third line. The thing is, Jeff Carter is still there, and Jeff Carter's the one playing center. Yeah. So there's that. The faith is still also in Jeff Carter. Hey, yo, good luck for the next two seasons, guys. <laughs> well, hey, season and a half. We don't have to endure two full seasons of it, at least uh, not yet. I know it's 9.30 in the morning right now for us, but, man, after the last two nights in this recording, I need a beer. <laughs> need a recovery beer like Luka Doncic. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get to that beer. Also, don't drink and drive forward. I know you're going to, to the Penguins practice today, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We will be back as a show on Monday, but make sure you tune in tomorrow to Penguins to go. I'm going to be talking a little bit about Brian Dumoulin, everybody's favorite or least favorite Penguins defenseman. But that's going to do it for this one. We'll see you guys later. Have a good one, Pens fans. Thank you.